This week's TribCast is sponsored by Texas Association of Community Colleges. Texas Community Colleges are the state's economic engine for recovery. Our colleges provide credentials that meet regional and local workforce demands. For more information, visit TACC.org. And the Association of Electric Companies of Texas is your resource for understanding the electric markets in Texas. Get an overview with our Electricity 101 and our glossary at AECT.net. Hello and welcome to the Texas Tribune Tripcast for March 18th, 2022. My name is James Barragan and I'm a politics reporter here at the Tribune. I'm filling in for Matthew Watkins. This week we have a jam-packed show and we will be discussing the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad week for Governor Greg Abbott's Operation Lone Star. Here to discuss the issues this week are Jolie McCullough, the Tribune's criminal justice reporter. Hello, Jolie. Hey, how's it going? Going all right. Thanks for being here with us. And a very special guest, Davis Winky, staff reporter for the Army Times, who has been covering the Operation Lone Star's military debacles since the beginning. Army Times is the largest of the Military Times family of newspapers independently covering the U.S. military. The Texas Tribune has teamed up with Military Times on a series of deep dives into Operation Lone Star's deployment and National Guard troops to the border. Davis, welcome to the TripCast. Long-time listener, first-time caller, James. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Davis. Uh, so let's kick it off with uh, the very, very rough week for the Texas Military Department in terms of Operation Lone Star. Um, I'm trying to, I'm struggling even, even to keep the timeline correct, but I think the timeline is this. On Monday, Governor Greg Abbott replaces uh, Adjutant General uh, Tracy Norris with Thomas Swaltzer after months and months of criticism of Operation Lone Star, due in part to a lot of Davis's reporting on suicides tied to the mission and on numerous outlets reporting on uh, deplorable living conditions, problems with pay, and just a overall lack of sense of mission. Um, then on Tuesday, we also got word that Norris's chief, civilian chief of staff um, had submitted his resignation, that's James Red Brown. On Wednesday, we at Tribune reported in partnership with the Army Times, uh, our story on National Guard troops that were being dispatched to iconic Texas ranches like the King Ranch and Armstrong Ranch as part of the border mission, which really raised a lot of eyebrows and, and, and sort of raised questions about the efficacy of the mission and also about you know the uh, apparent conflicts of interest there with wealthy landowners getting potentially, you know, more protection than other people. And then on Thursday, there was a further shakeup of the Texas military department um, when another major general, Charles Aris, uh, submitted his resignation as the shakeup continued. Um, and then today, Joey McCullough on the law enforcement side gave another report in the Texas Tribune about the continued, uh, you know, I think we can fairly call them civil rights violations of the arrested uh, migrants who are basically spending months in these jails uh, with without any representation. And in some cases, they're not even they're not even being charged with the, the state offenses. So they're sort of being illegally held. So overall, <laughs> rough week for Operation Lone Star. 
Davis, what do you make of all the changes at the Texas Military Department? What does that signal to you? Well, I'll start off by saying we're recording at 930 Central, um, and we still have one more day of this week. And at the rate this week has been going, <laughs> who knows what today holds. Um, as for an overall sense of the changes, um, the three officials that left the Texas Military Department this week are some of its senior most, most influential players. Tracy Norris was an Army two-star general who oversaw the entire department and held overall responsibility for carrying out Abbott's policies with regard to the Texas military. Um, and then Red Brown, her chief of staff, was seen by many as her right-hand man. Brown was a retired two-star general who was hired into the civilian chief of staff position, um, according to public records, it might've been even before his military retirement went through. And he was the fifth highest paid employee in the department on the state payroll. And then when you see Charles Aris um, retire without notice yesterday, that's extremely rare. It's extremely rare to see something like that. Aris had been in command of the 36th Infantry Division, which is one of the Army's 19 combat divisions. There are only 19 officers who hold the job that Aris did. He only held his command for five months before suddenly deciding to retire three days after um, Tracy Norris was replaced. I, it, it just and, goes and to show. And he's got a long, and he's got a long, he, he's been like in the military for 34 years, according to the, to the press release. He has, you know, him, Norris, and and Red Brown had both been just long-standing members of the Texas National Guard, the Texas Military Department, and kind of represented an old guard of leadership that um, a, a lot of my sources out there were arguing were at the root of some of the problems we've seen with Operation Lone Star. Um, and to see all of this play out in such rapid succession, um, I believe signals an intent from the new Adjutant General, Thomas Seltzer, to, to take a hard look at the way Operation Lone Star is being run and just take a hard look at the Texas National Guard in general. And I think uh, that, that, that's one thing that I really wanna hit on because um, you know, in public statements, Governor Abbott and the Texas military department has not acknowledged any problems with Operation Lone Star, really. Um, they, they've, they've said that, sure, there have been pay problems, but that they're addressing them. And at some point, they said 100% of them were solved. And then they had to backtrack and say 90% of them were solved. Um, they're, they're addressing uh, the living conditions. Um, but they have pushed back on your reporting on the suicides tied to the mission. Um, overall, a pretty defensive stance from the military department and from the governor. Um, but I, I don't think that, you know, this, these sudden changes um, for high ranking positions in the department can be seen as anything other than, hey, there does need to be a change in the mission. And they are uh, acknowledging that change needs to happen because things are not going are not going well, right, Davis? The cynic in me says that we don't know which direction the change is going to go in. Um, we don't know whether the intent of Governor Abbott is to double down and try to expand the mission further. 
um, we don't know whether um, Governor Abbott is going to let Tom Seltzer have more control over the mission and the way it looks and maybe maybe try to right size it in terms of personnel and draw it down a bit and see, okay, how can we how can we actually execute the mission that we're given with an efficient number of personnel as opposed to the current 10,000 that are ostensibly deployed there? Um, it we 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 just don't know. And something that's important to keep in mind is that although the department's public statements have pushed back really hard on reporting about issues with the mission, Eris became something of a face of those issues when in January, a lengthy town hall he did with his subordinate commanders who were down on the mission uh, was recorded in its entirety and leaked to media outlets where you had leaders on the border saying, hey, these are issues that my troops are facing. What are you doing to fix this? And that town hall being put into news media all of a sudden put the quotes in Eris's mouth about the problems that were happening down there and about you know what they were trying to do to fix them, but you know not quickly enough, according to some soldiers. And we don't know if that played any role in his sudden decision to retire. Well, right. I think it's worth noting in terms of like doubling down, like we've seen you know, shortly after y'all's article about the ranches this week, um, you know, he, Greg Abbott sends out a fundraising press release saying like two, there's two Democrats that he's quoting of like, who love Operation Lone Star. Um, and then, you know, DPS, I will say as someone who has text like tweet alerts on for DPS during all of this, like they have been ramping up. They're like, look at what we did. Look at what we did. So I think they're, they're in kind of a they're in a mode where they're trying to spin it, like they're in damage control yeah. mode. It, it's certainly a coordinated effort. I've noticed that too, from, from the communication standpoint of the military department, Governor Abbott's office and Texas DPS. And I will say that for those of you who get uh, the governor's uh, fundraising emails, he did cite those two Democrats. Those two Democrats were cited in a story about overall criticism of the mission uh, and the king, king of, of, of deployments to places like the King Ranch. Uh, and the Armstrong ranches in South Texas. So please go out and read the full story. Um, There's service members saying that they don't know what they're doing down there because they don't have any action. Um, so, so I think it was a little bit misrepresented there, uh, but, but please go out and read the full story. Um, Davis, I wanna come back to your point. Um, I think you had said something about his sudden resignation, General Aris's sudden resignation. Um, and I, I want to ask you about that because um, Tracy Norris's, Major General Tracy Norris's um, departure was also treated as a, uh, as, you know, her term expired, I think is how they, they, they phrased it. But her predecessor had served uh, nearly seven years um, in the same role. And so um, it's not like, you know, Major General Norris couldn't have served longer. Um, she definitely could have served longer, but I think that it does indicate some unhappiness about the direction of the mission or about how much had been getting out through news reports of the mission or potentially it could also just be a, a scapegoat 
um, to say, uh, with all these changes that are happening now, say, well, look, Norris was in charge of those problems. Those problems are, you know, part of her leadership. And now there's a new adjutant general and we're making changes. What can you say about that in terms of one thing that we've talked about as we've been reporting this is that it's rare to see accountability um, from leadership in these in these situations. So uh, Norris's departure, whether they want to say it was uh, her term expired or, you know, however, it, it is being seen by the boots on the ground as some type of accountability, is it not? It is. And it's. It's it's interesting to think about the way that the Texas Guard has been couching and describing these moves as as typical personnel actions. You know, yes, Norris's two year appointment was up. However, her predecessor was appointed to four terms and retired during his fourth. For example, um, reappointing an adjutant general over years and decades is is pretty common around the country. Sometimes you see people hold these positions down for 20 plus years. Um, and then the language of Charles Aris's departure, where he um, is was replaced as division commander, effective Mar effective the day it was announced, and then immediately is is entering the retirement process. You know, it's it's the language of a typical personnel move, but I think the kids out on the ground are are justified in seeing it as some kind of accountability. Even though everybody's going to leave with with their their retirement pay and their benefits intact, because there's there hasn't been any criminal wrongdoing by by anyone here. There's no justification for taking away those benefits for those people. But at the same time, what the Joes on the ground see, the Joes and Janes on the ground see, is this was not the way that these senior personnel thought that Operation Lone Star would go and not the impact they thought it would have on their career. Um, they are encouraged to see that those who planned and executed this mission, even if it was Governor Abbott who set the requirements and timeline for it, have had a disruption in their lives, kind of like what's happened to them when they got involuntarily called down to the border. And there's been a genuinely, I would say, cautiously positive response to the changes that have happened. I know Hunter Schuler, one of the uh, one of the service members in charge of the unionization effort uh, with the Guard, which you can talk a little bit about because that is largely seen as a result of Operation Lone Star, but Hunter Schuler said that he saw these as positive changes going in the right direction. Um, Representative Alex Dominguez, uh, a, a Democrat from Brownsville who's been very critical of Operation Lone Star, also said that he sees these changes uh, as a move in the right direction, and he hopes that uh, the new leadership will address some of the issues that have been brought up by service members and have been brought up by your reporting. Um, but yeah, Davis, if you can talk a little bit about you know, some of the actual problems for, for maybe listeners who haven't fully read the stories, maybe talk about the pay problems or the living conditions or um, anything. And also an explanation of, you know, maybe people 
the civilians don't really understand sometimes the, the National Guard service members are, are they serve part time. They've got civilian jobs and lives and families and to deploy them so hastily like they did in starting in September really has, uh, you know, it really has had a major impact on their lives. So a little bit of if you can talk a little bit about the actual issues that we're talking about here that service members see and sort of what people like Hunter Schuler are saying about um, the direction of the changes. Yeah, the, the National Guard is primarily filled with part-time service members who have normal day jobs. Um, here's where I mentioned that I'm a part-time member of another state's National Guard, um, though I'm, I'm Davis the journalist today. I need to make that clear. Um, and normally when the National Guard gets used for a long-term mission, like an overseas deployment, there is months, if not years of warning. There's dedicated events and support for getting your affairs in order, whether that's powers of attorney, wills, um, making sure that your, your, your family's got a plan in place for your kids. Um, it's usually a highly choreographed process to get a National Guard unit ready for a long-term mission. Operation Lone Star, however, because of the requirements and timelines set by Governor Abbott, upended that norm and asked part-time thousands of part-time service members around the state to drop their lives with, uh, in some cases, in as little as 72 hours to report to the border for an unknown period of time. Um, and that has a massive impact on the lives of a part of, of part-timers. You know, I can say that as someone who's gotten a no notice call for a 10 day mission in the past, you know, even that is disruptive, but to have to do it for months or up to a year, you can't, you can't overstate what that does to someone's life. Um, and then when they got there, what they found was that the mission had been mobilized so rapidly that a lot of things weren't in place. The state struggled to pay people on time at first or at all. Um, there were issues with living conditions with people stuffed into converted semi-trailers with bunk beds three high um, in there. Um, there were situations where soldiers didn't have the equipment they needed, whether it was ballistic plates, cold weather gear, um, or toilet facilities out at their work sites. Um, they, they felt like they showed up to a mission that had been hastily thrown together after being ripped away from their lives. And that's why people like Hunter Schuler, who himself is a, is a junior part-time soldier, he's, he's a 10-year veteran, he's got a master's in statistics, you know, he's, he's quite the apt guy to be the face of this union, unionization effort. Um, but all of those factors coming together is why people like Hunter Schuler are encouraged to see some of the senior leaders that failed to ensure that these issues didn't happen are now right. facing some kind of accountability, even if it's masked as routine personnel moves. Right, because the governor as commander-in-chief of the Texas National Guard can say, hey, I want to do this, uh, but it really should be leadership's role to say, hey, if you want to ramp this up from 500 or a couple thousand people to 10,000, 
that's that's a massive undertaking that's going to require a lot of logistics and a lot of planning, a lot of planning, which apparently did not happen. Um, I mean, we, we've heard from people who uh, d- didn't have gear, uh, didn't have cold weather gear when the cold came in. Uh, straight up did not have like uh, bulletproof vests, um, especially in the light of, you know, uh, now hearing that cartels are firing on, on folks down there. Um, and, and then also that there was no clear sense of mission that, you know, some of the service members just feel like they were just sent down there to be a number essentially. And we, we've heard that from people both in interviews and we've seen that in the, the leaked survey that we were able to obtain in February of the mission morale, but just to, you know, hammer a little bit more on the impact. I mean, these folks, you mentioned, you mentioned Hunter having a, a master's degree, these folks, you know, they serve in the military uh, and, and rightfully, I think, uh, get benefits. Um, and some of those benefits are being able to go to school. <laughs> um, but these, these folks who are in college or trying to get their degrees, those have been entirely disrupted by this deployment. Um, there are families that have been entirely disrupted by this deployment. I just got an email from uh, the family of a service member who said, this, this person just had a, a, a kid back at home and they've got one week to go back and, and bond with their partner and with their new child. And then they've got to be right back down on the border. And the question that these service members are saying is for what? Um, which brings me to the King Ranch story, uh, which is that, you know, they were basically deployed about 30 service members around the clock to, to go on different uh, points on U.S., uh, 77, which goes up to Corpus Christi, and it's right south of a Border Patrol checkpoint. Um, but they basically deployed them to stand, essentially guard outside these private ranches, which DPS and the Texas Military Department said, you know, there's a lot of migrants crossing through those ranches. Um, there's bailouts where, you know, these smugglers uh, run through the fences, break their fences, and then drive through their ranches to get around the Border Patrol checkpoint. Um, but the service members we talked to said, we, we barely see anybody out there. So we're just out there standing around for eight hours a day and not, not doing anything where we could be on other points on the border, on the actual border, because these ranches are about 80 miles north of the border and more than an hour's drive. They could be down on the border in places where they actually can be having some effect, but instead they're standing essentially playing, you know, radioing into Border Patrol, because the other thing is that these National Guard Service members didn't have access to go on the private ranches. Um, So it's just, you know, I I think for a lot of them, the question was, what are we even doing down here? Um, And Jolie, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about, you know, the partnerships with DPS and, and the military department and how that works in terms of how the cooperation, if there isn't any, any, I know sometimes it's limited, but I know that sometimes there's chases or there's, if you can talk a little bit about that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, like DPS, in terms of what, not a majority, but a very large share, the largest share of arrests that DPS is making right now are are for criminal trespassing. And that is generally like they have the landowners consent, right? Like they are on these ranches, they are on wherever, uh, generally near the border, they're so far in 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 just a few counties. Um, But, you know, the military department has now kind of, generally they were at first, you know, just like along the border, they were kind of 
seemingly like manning the fences and now it does seem like they're just kind of they're just I mean the whole point the whole thing of your story right they're just kind of being put seemingly in nonsensical places and not with their hands tied um the other thing about this so like DPS has been able to get on like they do get permission from these landowners to go on ranches a lot of the times it still is that like what you said like you call border patrol um because DPS is only like the state has only been authorized to arrest um, men who are traveling traveling alone. So like families, kids, women are referred to DPS or they're supposed to be referred to DPS or uh, I mean, not DPS, to Border Patrol. The big thing with this, though, I think is like really worth talking about is that, you know, it's really, I think it's really important to be talking about like the National Guard and these people who've had their lives kind of disrupted to be coming to this new mission that they've been on for months and months and seemingly that, you know, what you said, for what, like they can't see the impact here. The other thing I think it's really important not to forget are the people who are being targeted by this, who are being kind of targeted and just, you know, the entire power of the state is thrown down on them. And in the, like the largest share of these cases, the only thing they're accused of is trespassing on private property. Now, like the operation's stated purpose, you know, we're going to stop cartels, we're going to get at smugglers, people who are, you know, human smugglers, people who are drug trafficking. Um, But when you look at the numbers, like it's really just a numbers game at this point, like they're trying, they're stopping whoever they can. And, and like, you know, that's one thing if you're going to arrest a bunch of people for criminal trespassing, but then you have to, you know, something a lot of people forget as I've, um, been very like been made aware of and a lot of responses I've gotten is that you don't have to be a citizen for constitutional and civil rights to apply like they still apply to you that's not just for U.S. citizens so your rights are still being violated if you are held in prison for months without having any charges filed against you without any access to an attorney um so I think that's something that I'm just like I you know I, I love that like we've both been able to kind of jump in on this because Operation Lone Star is so massive and it's so, it was thrown together very hastily and there have been, you know, so many problems with the people who are working on this operation as well as the people who are being targeted by the operation. Right. And I I think it's worth noting that almost all of the changes that have come, at least on the military side, have come because of news reporting on the problems you know the service members um i think generally service members don't aren't going out looking to talk to the press honestly um they they do try to resolve the issues through you know through their own means but when they had called for months and months for changes and nothing happened that's when they started coming to news outlets and they found that that was the only way um, that there was change. Um, and so I think that tells you a little bit about sort of um, how leadership and state leadership is also uh, approaching this. But let's take a quick pause to listen to um, some messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with Jolie to hear more um, uh, about her coverage of this. Texas Gulf Coast Community Colleges. The nine Texas Gulf Coast Community Colleges are training Texans for high demand careers in leading industries. Find out more at gulfcoastcc.org. And Texas Farm Bureau, 
Looking for ag information and resources? Visit Texas Farm Bureau's Small Farm and Ranch Resource page at txfb.us slash smallfarm. And we're back. Uh, so, Joe, we, we teased a little bit um, of the conversation um, around your articles, which is you came out with a new article this week in terms of um, these migrants are still being detained there for months, uh, sometimes not even really even being charged with anything. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a massive violation of their rights. And I think one thing to point out, as you were alluding to right before the break, is that the, the law has to apply to everyone that I mean, that's just that's how we do things here in the United States. Um, and 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 it's interesting for me to hear our state leaders talk about we are a nation of laws. You know, there's got to be law and order. There are rules, particularly in the context of immigration and this migrant crisis that we're seeing and say, well, they've got to follow the law. They got to follow the law. But I mean, if you've got to sort of practice what you preach here, right? And so if you want to arrest these folks, then you've got to follow the law and, and give them their, you know, um, their due process. And, and these, these folks are literally sitting in jails for months. Um, and not again, some of them not being even charged. And so talk a little bit about what the defense attorneys for these folks are saying, the problems that they're seeing, and a little bit about, you know, we talked a lot about the military side of this and the, the hastiness of this. But on the, uh, on the criminal justice side of this, there was also a lot of haste and a lot of problems that came with that, because as, as we found out through your reporting, the system is just not set up for this, correct? Yeah, and so that's a lot of what like we reported on last year because this all the trespassing arrests, which have been become like a major piece of Operation Lone Star, right? Just um, Abbott had said, you know, we're going to um, anyone like essentially anyone suspected of crossing the border illegally who uh, commits any state offense or is you know can be arrested for any state offense, um, and most often that is trespassing. Um, because you know people are if they're crossing the border walking a lot of the times onto public or private property afterward um and the thing like last year this all started in july there were so many problems because these were happening in small counties who don't have the the county that this is happening the most in is kinney county it's right next to del rio and they have one prosecutor for misdemeanors and one judge for misdemeanors and all of a sudden there were hundreds and hundreds of arrests um and they're used to handling not even like double digits of cases in a year and the so obviously it flooded the system there was no way so everyone seemingly kind of fell through the cracks they were sent to these prisons that have been reconverted into uh you know operation lone star jails but people weren't being assigned like there were dozens who weren't assigned a lawyer there were um, hundreds who had been in there for beyond the state deadlines for when you're you can't be imprisoned for beyond 30 days if you're if you're being suspected of a misdemeanor without any charges being filed against you and so there was a lot of you know figuring out how to do that so the state sent in extra like prosecutors to help the state send in judges to help the state send in you know, defense attorneys to help. They tried to send set up the system after the fact, like after the arrests were already happening. And from what you hear from officials, like things are working. Um, Steve McCraw, the director of DPS, said at a Senate hearing 
last week, like, you know, there, there was, it was just a, you know, a problem of not having enough resources. Like he said, you can say, sure, we're going to arrest all these people, but if you don't have the system set up, like that's not going to work. And so they moved to correct it. And what we're hearing now is that has not happened at all. Um, so there's a continuing court fights over the constitutionality of these arrests overall. And in these legal briefings that were recently filed, the defense attorneys who represent hundreds of these um, men who've been arrested for allegedly trespassing, they're saying there's still so many cases of people who are in there without a lawyer for up to five months um, at one point. There's people who are in there routinely without having been charged for beyond the month deadline. And and they're given sort of a weird choice of, you know, you can if you just plead guilty, you'll get out of here ASAP. But if you don't, you get, you're going to be, be around here waiting for potentially five months. Sure. Well, but no, you're able to plead guilty, but that's at your first court hearing. And that is also taking months. Um, generally, oh, you're gosh. not able okay. to get before a judge until they said, you know, three to four months is the average. I think that's something we, I think that's something we have to harp on. I mean, five months five months like regardless of how you feel about uh the people coming into the country i think we can all agree that and it is quite frankly in the constitution that you have a right to a speedy trial and these people are waiting five months for a court hearing like that is unfathomable if if any of us were waiting five months just to be uh brought into court and told what we were being accused of that is unconstitutional. That is just flatly unconstitutional. And to, to your point, it, it's it's the haste with which this was planned, this operation. It's just a numbers game, both. And we're seeing we're seeing the um, the similarities on the military side. It's just numbers. We just want numbers. We want a big show. And and on the criminal justice side, we want numbers. We want numbers. And and the state leaders are saying, well, look, this is how many thousands of people we've apprehended. This is how many pounds of fentanyl we've, we've seized, which is also misleading. It has to be said because fentanyl is very potent in small, um, in, in small doses. And also quite frankly, we haven't even addressed the fact that if you have only an enforcement approach to um, the war on drugs, it's, it's, it's never going to work. It's not worked for decades and, and it won't start working now just because we've come up with this, but the haste and we're seeing the similarities on both sides. Um, it is, is it is quite quite frankly uh, astounding, uh, I think. Yeah, and like the things that we're seeing, it, like talking about doubling down, like in Kinney County, which is a small, very like rural, conservatively led county, um, and it's accounted for the the large majority of these trespassing arrests. And this is where you know they they had state assigned judges come in to help with this caseload and they were hearing these you know there's a legal process to go through when you say hey i've been detained beyond state law allows um so i'm being illegally detained now it's been more than 30 days and i'm only accused of a misdemeanor and i have not been charged with a crime um there are legal processes to go through that so a court can say because you're the state state law says you must be released either on a lowered bond because these are all people in jail. If they had money, they could bond out. Um, they are they have to either lower the bond to where they can afford it or release them on no cost bonds. And that 
was happening um, for the for the state assigned judges who would hear these cases. And then in December, the county judge uh, of Kinney County um, dismissed those judges and picked five of his own of, of other judges that he wanted to help him. And since then, the defense attorneys say they haven't been hearing these cases to let the men go who have, who are being illegally detained. So it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard not to say that it's political. And, and I get that, like you said, you can, if you want to pursue trespassing charges against uh, migrants, because you want to, if that's your approach towards illegal immigration, um, but we still have to follow the laws that we have in the U.S. Yeah. and in Texas. And that's not even counting. I don't know if you. I can't. I can't remember. He. I don't think you mentioned the Valverde County attorney who no longer no longer prosecuted the cases just because they were like no good actually to prosecute. That's that's a whole other issue. But it's they quite literally are building the plane as as they fly it. And that is, I think, the overall conversation and something that we hit on in the King Ranch story is that this is the whole reason why states trying to get into the immigration enforcement business is not a successful venture because especially if there's an administration in the White House that is at odds with your approach to immigration because you need that buy-in, you need that sort of um, enforcement, quite frankly, um, uh, which the federal government is in charge of immigration enforcement. Um, so if, if you as Texas is, are trying to create your own little it's not even an immigration system. It's it's really its own criminal justice system around right. migrants. Um, and you're building the plane as you fly it, you're going to run into these issues. And, and the bigger overall thing for me as sort of a, a fiscal watchdog is that we've got $3 billion for, for border security over the next two years. Operation Lone Star is gonna cost $2 billion a year for the Texas military department you see them already shifting half a billion dollars last month from three other state agencies, including I think the Texas Department for Criminal Justice. Mm -hmm. um, and, and where is the return on investment? Where are the actual statistics of like the impact that we are making? I think those are the big overall questions um, that we as taxpayers and as Texans would want answered uh, but given the way that state government usually handles border security, I don't think uh, I'm holding out much hope that those actually will get answered. Um, I think we are out of time now, uh, but I want to thank uh, both Jolie McCullough and please follow her reporting on uh, the criminal justice side uh, of, of Operation Lone Star. It's tremendous reporting. And I will plug, I think she got a project next week coming out uh, with ProPublica uh, about these very statistics that we're talking about. Um, you all will want to read those because I think they'll raise a lot of questions about the statistics that the state is putting out. Um, and thank you to Davis Winky uh, from the Army Times. And please, please, please go and support Military Times and Army Times. They're doing tremendous work even outside of Operation Lone Star. But I've got to say, Davis, uh, this partnership has been invaluable as as just a civilian. <laughs> you've, you've helped me understand the, the parts of the military that would have been very, very difficult to, to, to understand without you. <laughs> so, Likewise about the Texas state government. <laughs>
what a place. <laughs> and I love that we got a, we have a collab in here. It's not just the Tribune folks talking at each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Love, love, uh, love collaborators. So thanks to you guys. Thanks to all our listeners. Uh, thanks to our sponsors, the Texas Association of Community Colleges and the Association of Electric Companies of Texas, as well as the Texas Gulf Coast Community Colleges and the Texas Farm Bureau. This has been the Tripcast for March 18th. We'll see you next week. You